Several of you haven't slept since two Sundays ago when we played that first round of Zoomed In. I know you're very excited about this, so we're going to do this again. So remember how this goes. First I show you a Zoomed In picture. You guys got to yell it out if you know what it is, and then we'll zoom out and we'll see what the actual picture is. So what do we got here? Let's see what the first one is. Anybody know? Yeah, super easy. Come on. All right, wonderful. All right, next one. Let's see if the second's a little harder or not. All right, let's see, let's see, let's see. Yes, okay. Snake. All right, third one. What do we got? All right, let's see. I heard somebody say it. Yes. Do you know most people in the first service said graham cracker too? So, all right. And then the last one here for today, we'll, we'll play again. Don't worry. Okay, let's see what we got here. Let's see. Yes. All right. There it is. Awesome. Good call. Somebody knew it. Somebody knew it. Good job. All right, please take that down quickly. Okay. Um, so now we've got to pray again because no one will be able to concentrate after that picture. But the truth is, the reason we play that game is because often we're zoomed in so far on one aspect of a situation that we can't see the big picture and and we're missing details that are important and so in life I think we do the same thing often it's like we're so zoomed in on this aspect or that thing going on in our life and we're not seeing not only the big picture almost like we took a natural step back but we're also missing I think the God picture like the God-sized picture of what's actually going on so here in this series we're just trying to zoom everybody out and say let's look at what God has to say about all this and let's see what his perspective is. And so a few weeks ago, I started this series talking about the fact that God is sovereign. And what does that word mean? Well, we have a definition here we could just kind of read together here, and I hope this will encourage you. But it just means that all things are under God's rule and control, and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. Now that opens up a can of worms and we got way into this a few weeks ago. We don't have time to get all into it again. But if you remember a few weeks ago, I tried to encourage you that does not make us robots, right? That does not mean that just because God is sovereign that our choices don't matter. And we read a pretty long Tim Keller quote on this last time. I want to read part of it again just to remind us because I think it's important because I know it's something that we can kind of tend to wrestle with and struggle with a little bit. Here's what Tim Keller said. You are free and you are responsible and your choices matter and you're responsible for your choices and no one is forcing you to make those choices and yet every single thing that has happened as a result of those choices is working out exactly to the plan of God. And it's not just that God foresees what you're going to do, but rather what you do fits in with the course that he wants history to take. You say, how can that be? Well, that's because you're a Westerner and it's always either or. Why does it have to be either or? Isn't it possible that God can actually fix things and work things out and at the same time not violate your free will? Why can't God do that? Well, I can't imagine how I would do it. Of course you can't, but you're underqualified for this job of God. And so we just reminded of what we saw a few weeks ago, that God is big enough to allow us to have free will, make real choices, and those choices matter, and yet he's still working everything for his good, and for his purposes. And both are true. And he mentions being a Westerner. You remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how this is a Western 2016 struggle. We struggle with this concept of having free will and God using all things for his purposes as being at odds. But the truth is, as you look at scripture, and there's many different examples of this, we looked at a few last time, that show that it's both and. It's not either or, it's both and. God is always allowing you and I to make real choices, and yet at the same time, he's also accomplishing his absolute control and will over our lives. And so last time we talked, a few weeks ago, we looked at how this matters for the election, right? And we saw that God was sovereign over the election. Now, I told you, I wrote that message a month before the election happened, before we knew who won. And so whether you are happy or unhappy with who won, I know there's some on both sides of that. Some of you wish another person had won or whatever it might be. We can know going forward 
that God is sovereign over that and that he is okay and the world is still moving and we're going to be all right and some people that are real happy about it, others are upset about it, but now we move forward. Now we pray for our current president and we pray for our president-elect and we know God is sovereign. He's up to something whether we see it or not. Now my guess is many of you would say, okay, it doesn't surprise me that God is sovereign over something as big as the election, right? But what about the little details of my life? Like what about the day-to-day stuff, right? I mean, because sure, God should be sovereign over whether this person wins or that person wins. I mean, it's a whole country. It's a big deal. But, but I'm just me, right? I'm just little me. I live in Long Island, New York. I just do my thing. I get up and I, I just live a normal day, right? I wake up. How many of you guys wake up to an alarm clock? You need an alarm clock to wake you up. Otherwise, you're not waking up. Okay. How many of you guys wake up before the alarm clock goes off? All right. Very cool. How many of you guys, right? We all jump in the shower then. Long showers. Who we got? Who we got? Okay. Short showers. Okay. All right. Very good. I've noticed a bit of hostility between long and short showers. Have you guys noticed this? I feel like the long showers are always looking at the short showers going, are you even clean? And the short showers are going, could you waste more water? Seriously, right? So we got long showers, short showers, and, and I think that God puts long and short showers together in marriages. I won't tell you in my marriage who's the long or the short, but I think God is, is wise that way. But uh, then we, we head to work, right? We go to work. How many of you guys look at your watch at least five times a day during the work day as you're just going through it? Okay. How many of you, 10? How many of you guys would say 20? How many of you guys would say you look at the watch literally 50 times? Seriously, you work in a watch factory? Is that? Thanks, I'll be here all week, guys. Um, and, and so some of us, as we go through our day, we're just thinking, get me through this, get me through this, get me through this. Why? Because we just feel like we're living normal life, right? And then we drive home, right? We drive home. How many of you guys have a long commute? Long commuters, okay. Here's what I've noticed in the long commute. There, are, there is a, a mood cycle in the commute. There's a mood cycle. Have you noticed this? As you first are driving, you're like, just get me home. I don't even care. I just want to get through the traffic. And then a certain thing happens. And it's usually associated to the right song coming on the radio at the right moment that saves the entire trip, right? All of a sudden, it's got to be the perfect song. So you're driving. You're, you're just so angry with life. You just want to be home. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. And you got your, your tie on your head, and you're rocking out. And you're looking at people next to you. You're high-fiving out the window. This is the best road trip ever. And then you turn around the corner, and there's more traffic. Mood cycle, dead again, right? No, just get me home, right? And then you go home, and you interact with your family a little bit. You might have a good night or a bad night. Maybe you watch a little TV. Maybe play with your kids a little bit. And you wake up and you do it all over again. Because it feels like we live normal, mundane lives, lives everybody else lives. Could God really care about the details of our days? Could he really care about the ins and outs and the ups and downs and the good and the bad in just our little ordinary days? Why should God be interested in all that, right? I mean, of course, he's sovereign over the election, but right? Stuff like that. I, I once had a friend who said flat out, I think God is sovereign over big things like kings and rulers and nations and that, but I don't think he kind of has left the rest of it up to us. And that's a little bit of a scary thought. I mean, again, we have free will and we're making actual choices, but I don't really want everything left up to me. I tend to make a mess of things. I don't know about you. And so could God care about the little details of our lives? Does he care about the bills we're stressed about? Is that on his radar today? Does he care about your daily struggles, the things you kind of wrestle with in life, maybe some sin struggles or habits or just things that kind of plague you? Does he care about thoughts that maybe you've carried for a really long time? Does he care about the things you beat yourself up about? Does he care about the fact that you feel lonely? Does he care about the anxieties that you carry day to day? Does he care about your current set of circumstances that seems to be that thing that you're so zoomed in on, it's all you can see in your life? Does he care about that stuff? 
Or is it just the big stuff? That's what we want to talk about here today. And this is so important because when we aren't sure if God's in control, we do, I think, one of three things or all of three things. One is we fear. We get really, really fearful. And we start to do all the what ifs, right? What if I get sick? What if the relationship ends? What if the job doesn't work out? What if I can't get through school? We, get, we do all the what ifs, right? Then the other thing I think we do is, is we panic. And you know what we do when we panic is we jump from thing to thing to thing and we try to control circumstances, right? And so it's just us jumping from job to job to job to job because the grass is always greener. And maybe if I'm missing something and if it's all on my shoulders and it's all on me, then what a weight and I got to figure this out. How am I going to get this? I guess I got to get to the next better thing. And we jump from relationship to relationship to relationship because, man, I got to get to that best one. And I can't just sit back and allow God to rule this. No, I got to get in on this. And then I think the the last thing many of us do is, is we end up controlling things to the point that we shoot ourselves in the foot, right? We shoot ourselves in the foot. We get ourselves in trouble. We, we mean to do one thing, and we make things worse. I think that whole saying, shoot yourself in the foot, I, I feel bad for the guy that that originated with, like the guy who actually shot himself in the foot originally. Like, you know it had to have been like a cowboy or something, right? And he's just putting his stuff on, his gear on. And I know his friends always give him a hard time. Like, you hear what happened to Cletus? He's trying to load his, his six-shooter. He shot himself in the foot. Like, Cletus had a bad day that day. But in our day, when we shoot ourselves in the foot, it makes a mess of everything. We were trying to make things better. We were in fear panic mode. But we shot ourselves in the foot. We ended up making a big mess when God maybe, just maybe, has things under control. And so when we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot, it's when we are afraid the right relationship won't come along, so we settle for the other relationship. It's when we're afraid that Finances aren't going to be there, and so we go out and we get more job than we need or the wrong job, or, or maybe we're working so many jobs we don't even know what our wife or our husband look like anymore or our kids look like anymore. And instead of trusting God to somehow provide or even maybe being content with less, we go out and we shoot ourselves in the foot by kind of taking things in, in our own control. But what if God is sovereign? What if we don't have to give in to the fear or the panic or taking things in our own hands. What if he's over it all? That's what we're gonna look at here today, even down to the tiniest detail of our lives. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And you know what I would guess is true about you? I would guess you are searching for a God that's involved. I would think many of the reasons that people who don't follow God don't follow God is because they feel like he's not involved. He's far away if he's there at all. But what if there's a God who cares for you and wants to be involved with the tiniest details of your lives. And so we're going to look in two, plus, two places today. Mainly we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to answer the question, is God sovereign over every little detail of my life? And then we're going to look at Philippians 4 a little bit later to answer a second question. So here's what's going on in Matthew 10. Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples, and he's giving them a pregame speech. And look at what he says, Matthew 10 verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Now that seems like stuff we would expect Jesus to say to his followers, right? It's big stuff. It's stuff God, of course, wants to be involved with. Heal, drive out demons, do all these great things, right? But listen to what he says next. This is important. Freely you've received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you, right? 
Jesus, I love this. See, it's not like Peter was in the back of the room when Jesus is saying all this, and he has to raise his hand and go, okay, Jesus, I heard you say that whole part about driving out demons and healing people, but I'm just wondering, what should we do about like where we're going to stay? And what should we do about money? And what should we do about clothes? No, Peter didn't have to answer that question. You know why? Because that's on God's mind. God doesn't just care about the big heal and cast out demons and run nations and elect this person and that person. No, God cares about the tiny details like a roof over your head and the clothes you're going to wear and the food that you're going to eat. God is concerned about all those details. So let me encourage you a little bit. God knows how you're going to pay the mortgage this month or the rent. God knows how you're going to get through the student loan payoffs. God gets it. I wrote this message a month ago, and I used this example in my notes, not making this up. God knows how you're going to fix your water heater. Guess what? I woke up this morning with no hot water in my house. I'm like, thank you, oh, sovereign God, with your sense of humor. That was real funny there. Appreciate that one. Oh, Doug, you're going to trust me, right? Wake up. I haven't taken a cold shower since I was like summer camp in like seventh grade. I was like, oh, this is terrible, you know? They said I have too much time up here. But, but so I'm in there taking care of business, freezing. But you know what? I got a text before the 930 service starting. Kelly said, Man came, and the water heater is fixed. I said, Lord, you are sovereign. You are good. <laughs> Hot water showers later. Coming, baby. So God gets it. Every little detail of your life, everything you might be going through, every little and every big thing that is on your plate today. So let me summarize the next few verses for you. Jesus gives them this encouraging news, right? But then he shifts gears. And, and, and this is really important. Over the next several verses, right, Jesus then tells the disciples some scary things. Over the next several verses, he tells the disciples that they're going to be uh, arrested, that they're not going to be welcome in some towns, that they're going to be flogged in some places, they're going to have to stand before the town councils. He kind of gives them like, hey, all right, I'm with you. I'm going to provide for you, but you're still going to go through some stuff, but I want you to know that I'm with you. And and here's what's so incredible. Jesus tells them bad things are going to happen. Please hear me on this. Jesus tells them, and I think he tells us, some bad things will happen in your life. But then he says over and over and over again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I think our go-to would be, no, God, I am afraid. I am afraid. Why did you just tell me that? Jesus, I wish you hadn't told me bad things were going to happen because now I am afraid. But this is so powerful. What Jesus does next is so powerful. See, he proves to his followers why they shouldn't be afraid, why they shouldn't give in to fear or panic or take things into their own hands and shoot themselves in the foot. You know how he does it? He does it by showing his sovereignty over the tiniest details imaginable. And this is what I hope you find encouragement in today. Look what he says in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Okay, so he says to his followers, you're going to be arrested. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. But don't be afraid. Why shouldn't I be afraid, Jesus? Because even two little insignificant birds don't fall to the ground outside of God the Father's care. So, you could go by my house in the hamlet of Center Reach today and, and buy at Jungle Bob's Reptile World several very cheap birds. And Jesus is telling us that they don't fall to the ground outside the care of our Heavenly Father. Have you ever been sitting in your living room and suddenly you heard flap? And you look at the window and a bird flew into the window. You ever seen that before? Right? Jerry Seinfeld once, once said, you know, people try to give the bird excuses. You know, like, oh, he was flying toward the other bird. You know, he saw, he thought another bird, and he thought he saw another bird in the, in the reflection, but then he says, wouldn't he have tried to avoid the other bird? 
right? Like, like what bird goes, oh, another bird, Poof, right? But there he goes. So, so the bird hits the window, hits the ground. And that little bird, that little insignificant bird, which is worth so much less than you and I, that didn't happen outside our heavenly Father's care. Then verse 30, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Go ahead and laugh it up, folks. <laughs> yep. Must be easy with you, Doug. Hey, Doug, how about uh, you time me while I count? Ready, set, go. Done. Okay, thanks so much. Appreciate that. That's awesome. But even the hairs that should be on our head are under the control of God. Every one number. Are you seeing that Jesus says, here's my case. You guys are worried. You're scared. You're fearful of what they might do to you. Here's my encouragement to you. The birds flying around are under my care. The hairs on your head are under my care. My sovereignty over the tiniest details is what you should be focused on right now. And then Jesus says this. He says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You're worth more than many sparrows. So, so our worth, just think about this for a second, is so significant to Jesus that he gave his life, right? So Jesus did not give his life to save and redeem sparrows. Jesus gave his life to save and redeem you and me. So if we're questioning our worth to him in comparison to these sparrows, then there is no comparison at all. Jesus is saying, I want you to know I've got them, I've got you. I've got the details of their life, I've got the details of your life. A little statement, if you're a note taker, write this down. If you're not, do what you will with it. The answer to our greatest fears is the sovereignty of God. The answer to our greatest fears is the sovereignty of God. If you walked in here today going, man, I just don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I'm scared. What if? What if? What if? I'm panicking. I take things in, in my own hands. Well, the sovereignty of God is the answer to all that. That he is over every tiny detail of your life is the answer to all the fears that you and I might have. Think about it. What were, what were probably the, the greatest fears that Jesus' followers had? Probably being arrested, being beaten, being put in prison standing before these councilmen. And Jesus just told them, all that's going to happen, but it's going to be okay because I'm sovereign over the tiniest details of their lives. And he is for us too. Whether it's a, a roof over our head or the birds flying over our head or the hair on our head, he is sovereign over the tiniest details of our lives. Now, some of you guys might be thinking of an objection, and the objection is this. Okay, Doug, you're telling me that I should trust God and not be fearful because of the way that he cared for his disciples, right? But, Doug, bad things happened to the disciples. In fact, most of them ended up giving their lives, saying they were followers of Jesus. Most of them were end up, ended up being martyred because they said Jesus was alive and rose back from the dead. How is that supposed to bring me peace? Well, three thoughts on that. First of all, we're all going to die. So whether they died one way or they died as martyrs, we all die. Secondly, and I know this is hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to, to really get excited about this thought sometimes. But the truth is, death is an upgrade. As a follower of Jesus, death is an upgrade. So I'll give you an example. My mom at 59 years old is laying in a hospice in Northport. And we're down there surrounding her. She's lost all of her hair to chemotherapy. She can't talk. She's in constant pain. She's moaning and groaning all throughout the day, all day, every day. We're praying. We're worshiping. We're, we're, we have friends gathered around. We're there. 
and eventually we're praying God either heal her or take her. And she passes away. Upgrade. Not for me. Upgrade for her in that moment. From broken, from pain, from unable to express love or, or anything to worshiping at the feet of Jesus, to redeemed and whole body, to complete joy. See, death is an upgrade. So, so you and I, we look at the Jesus care of the disciples. Upgrade. When Peter was, was crucified for following Jesus, right, when he looked at Jesus in heaven after he died, his first words were not, what was all that about? Why would you have allowed that to happen? His first, I, I can guarantee, down on his knees, Jesus, my Savior. So death is an upgrade. I, I know it's hard for us to, to see that, but that's the truth. Now, third thought on this, okay? I need you to stick with me on this one because it's really important. What, what's my number one or one of my number one go-tos when I'm trying to encourage you that, that we can trust that Jesus actually rose back from the dead? If you've heard the evidence series or any of that stuff. One of, my, one of the ones that I think is probably most important is the death of the eyewitnesses, right? See, we don't just have the eyewitnesses like Peter and John and these guys saying, hey, we saw Jesus alive. No, then we have them being beaten and put in prison and then several of them dying, right? So if God spared them that death, we lose one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection, right? Because if you ask me, if I was an eyewitness at the, at the death of Jesus and, and I made up the fact that he's alive, like if I have his body in, in the back room there, and you say, well, Doug, we're going to kill you if you keep saying he's alive. I'd say, well, he's in the back room. Let's go get him and don't kill me. But if he actually rolls back from the dead and I'm willing to die for that, guess what? That's incredible proof that Jesus is alive. And so if God, sovereign God, had said, you know what, disciples, you've been good to me, so I'm not going to allow you to go through that, then suddenly, thousands of years later, we have lost the great proof that Jesus actually rose back from the dead. So are you seeing that even though you'd look at that and say, man, that's, that's a little disheartening. Okay, upgrade though. All right, upgrade. And, and okay, wow, that's a huge proof that thousands of years, millions of people have said, wow, we can trust in Jesus. One of the reasons we know is because his followers died brutally saying that he was alive. And so this sovereign God was ruling over all that. And you know what I love about the disciples as they're approaching death, as they're imprisoned, think about this. They were so bold. They were so bold. Can you think of a time after the crucifixion and the resurrection where any of them showed fear? Why? Because they knew something. They knew that the answer to their greatest fears was the sovereignty of God. They knew they could face prison. They could face the rulers and the governors. They could face death itself with peace because they knew that God was sovereign and in control. And we're going to look a little bit further here because I think the answer to the first question is, is God sovereign over every little detail of my life? The answer is yes. If, he, if he's sovereign over whether a bird falls or not or whether Doug has a lot of hair or a little hair, then he's sovereign over how I'm paying the bills and what's going on with this sickness and what's going on with that relationship and what about my job? And God is sovereign over all those details. And this, I guess the second question would be, so what? So what, what, what difference does that make? 
If he's in control and if he's sovereign, how should that make a difference in my life? Well, I want to share with you guys a few verses that our youth pastor Joey actually referenced a few weeks ago. We were actually sitting across the hall upstairs about a month ago writing a very similar message without realizing it, but we both referenced these scriptures. And rather than saying, oh, well, Joey talked about it, I think I'll take him out, maybe God just knows we needed a little reminder again just a few weeks later. So I want you to actually close your eyes for a second because I want to read the first four words of the next few verses. We're going to look in Philippians 4, and the first four words are so powerful. The Lord is near. Can we just pause on that for a second? The Lord is near. Just keep your eyes closed for a second. The Lord is near. So you are worried about paying your mortgage. You are worried about getting through school. You're worried about your health. You're worried about your water heater. You're worried about your kids or your spouse or your parents. You're worried about being alone the rest of your life. You're worried about not maybe being able to have kids or... The Lord is near. Just keep your eyes closed. Let me read these familiar verses. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You guys can open up your eyes again. The Lord is near. He cares about the bills and the fears and the loneliness and the anxiety and the relationships and the jobs. He cares about it all. And he's in control of it all. And he's near you. And Paul just told us that We shouldn't be anxious because he's near. And that in those moments when we are tempted to be anxious, we can bring him. All that makes us anxious, all that makes us fearful, all that makes us panic, all that makes us try to manipulate and control and ends up shooting ourselves in the foot. And when we do that, we're going to have God himself protecting our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Several of the kids in our family I played hockey. My son Cade played hockey when he was real little. And my nephew, Jaden, plays hockey. My son Landon plays hockey. Uh, Ian and Luke here today, they play hockey. And, and they're all gifted players. But my, my nephew, Luke, he's a goalie. And you haven't seen a hockey goalie until you've seen Luke play goal. Because this kid stands in front of the goal and pucks are shot at him, and he is flying, and he is jumping. He's doing splits at 10 years old. He's rolling around. That thing can hit him in the mask, the chest. He doesn't care. He's going to take it because he's going to guard that goal, let nothing in. And, guys, I just want you to know today, that's the role of God in our lives when we bring him our anxiety and we bring him our fear and we bring him the things we're tempted to panic about. He is going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus so that those things are bouncing off of him, not us. And so you have a God in control, sovereign. That should make a huge difference in our life. That should bring us great, great peace. In fact, what I want you guys to walk away with today is that peace is possible because God is sovereign. That's, that's the, the hope of my heart today is that you'd walk out here saying, okay, I can be at peace because God is in control, because he's sovereign, because he knows every detail, and because he's over every detail, and because he's a good God and he's a good father, I know that everything is in his hands. Because the answer to our greatest fears is the sovereignty of God. Now, some of you guys might object and say, but look, bad things still happen. 
Bad things still happen. Yes, but the Lord is near. Bad things still happen, Doug. Yes, but God works all things for our good. And can I just remind us today that we don't deserve for him to do that, right? That's grace. That's mercy. You want to talk about something not fair. How about the perfect son of God on a cross for you and me? That's not fair. But how about the truth that you and I have a Lord that's near, a Savior that loves, a Savior that was on a cross in our place, and he's going to take all of that and work it for good. And here's what you know. Several of you know you can look back on your life and see situations where you know this is true. You can look at your life and say, yeah, I can see how God took that terrible, heart broke, uh, that, that broken, heartbreaking situation and made good of it. I was talking with a guy a few months ago about this. I was saying, you know, sometimes I, I struggle because of just like terrible things that happen in the world. And I go, God, what are you up to? He says, you know, Doug, I really actually look at the terrible things that have happened with my life and I see how God has used them and redeemed them. And some of my greatest evidence for God, this guy's telling me, are those bad things that God has now taken and made good of. And many of us in the room can say, yeah, I've seen God do that in the past. So we can apply that to our present. We can apply that to the fears and the panic and the anxiety and the worry about the things we're going through right now. Now, some of you guys may be not there yet. Maybe you're like sitting in the middle of it going, I don't see how God's going to make good of this. It doesn't make any sense. I don't see how he can accomplish that. Well, then we just got to look back to the cross then. We got to look back to Jesus' lifeless body in the tomb. And everybody gathered around, the disciples running in fear, saying, how can God make good of this? And then three days later, a resurrection that changes them, that gives them boldness, that gives them the answers to their greatest fears. And so you and I have this peace that's possible. So let me ask you a couple questions as we apply this to our hearts today. What have you been fearing? Just be real with yourself. What do you, what do you, what do you sit in fear about? What do you look out a window and daydream in fear about? Because the Lord is near. And he's over the details of your life. What are you panicked about? What, what are you not only so fearful about, but you've moved to action. You're, you're in panic mode and and you're, you're trying to do things that maybe you shouldn't be doing. In what ways are you shooting yourself in the foot? What have you settled on? What have you decided, okay, well, I don't see what God's going to do, so I'm just going to take care of this for him. I help him out a little bit, do him a favor. What do you just need to give back to him and say, God, you work. You work. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put your ways first. You see, it's time to bring all that to God. And when we do, we're going to have a Savior guarding our hearts and our minds. And it's the little stuff, it's the mid-sized stuff, and it's the huge stuff that we're walking through right now. All of it. He cares about it all. He's over it all. He's in control of it all. He's going to bring good out of it all. And he's near. And so what do you need to bring to him? I heard a great story about a couple named Dave and Lynn Phillips, and, and they were talking one day about just feeling like God wanted to do something more in their life. What could it be? What would, what would that look like? And they, they knew it had something to do with helping people in need. And, and they just had a heart for kids. And they were praying. And they began to feel like God was putting on their heart to start some kind of a foundation, a Christian organization that would help feed 
children that didn't have food. And so they're praying and they're trying to figure this out. Dave, the husband, hated talking in front of people. So that was like a huge fear for him, a huge anxiety inducer in his life. And he had to pray through that, work through that. I'm gonna have to get up in front of crowds and talk to people and ask people to support us. And so, okay, he kind of worked through that and they, they started the ministry. They called it Children's Hunger Fund. Some of you guys have heard of it, but this is back in the 90s. And so this is like Dave and his wife, Lynn, literally sitting in their garage, like, what now? What do we do? How's this gonna work out? I don't even know. And so they're getting things going. Six months after they started, they're sitting in the garage one day. Dave gets a phone call from someone in Honduras and says, hey, we're working with kids over here, and there's a certain vaccine that we need. And there are seven kids right now that if they don't get this, like, ASAP, they're actually going to die. This is life-threatening. And he's sitting on the other line going, I have no idea what to do. I mean, just think about yourself. Would you know what to do? I wouldn't know what to do if someone came to me and said, I need seven vials of such and such on the other side of the world. I would have no clue. And so that's exactly what Dave's thinking. He's honest with the person, and he says, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what to tell you. But they pray together. He hangs up the phone. Before he lets the phone out of his hand, the phone rings. He picks up the phone. Someone he does not know says, hi, I'm such and such from a pharmaceutical company. And I heard what you're doing. And I would like to give you 48,000 vials of a certain vaccine if it would be helpful to you. Tells him the name of the vaccine. It's the exact vaccine the guy on the other line just asked for. Not only does the guy say, hey, I can get this to you. He says, we'll fly it anywhere in the world for you. Come to find out that the guy on the other end of the line was working for one of two companies in the whole United States that made this vaccine in the first place. Within 48 hours, seven times whatever number equals 48,000, we're over in Honduras ministering to people in need. That's a sovereign God in control. And you're going, yeah, but Doug, that's big. You're, you see, you're back at big again. You're back at like kids getting fed and, and, and reaching out to the world. But you know what? Dave and Lynn had to make a decision when they had nothing, when they were sitting in their garage and that cool story hadn't happened yet, to trust God. And to say, okay, God, you're sovereign. I don't have the resources. I don't know what to do or how to make this happen. And I guarantee you that in those first six months before that phone call took place, they felt really small. They felt really insignificant. They're like, we're no Compassion International. We're no this. We're no that. We're no World Vision. We're no Operation Christmas Child. Who, even, who are we? And now, about 20 years later, they've fed millions of kids around the world because they just said, you're big. You're in control. You're sovereign. I've got all my fears and all my reasons why this wouldn't work, but I'm going to trust you. And God has used them mightily. And so what do you need to bring to him today? What fear? What panic? What thing you, you tend to micromanage and take into your own hands? Because the answer to your greatest fear is the sovereignty of God. And peace is possible because God is sovereign. If you're not a follower of Jesus, there's an active, alive God who cares about the details of your life that would love to know you and you to know him. And Jesus died on the cross so you could have a relationship with him. And so if you'd like to put your trust in him today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. But Christians, I want us to, to close our eyes as we pray in just a minute and to bring our fears to God, to pr- present to him our petitions and our requests so that he could guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus because peace is possible because God is sovereign. Let's pray. So God, we so thank you for what you've done to make peace possible. And we are so grateful that you're in control. And we're grateful, Lord, that 
our choices matter and you've given us the ability to choose this, choose that. But God, you're, you're such a great, merciful God who over it all is making good, is orchestrating, is in control, is worried and um, paying attention to, maybe is a better way to say it, about every single detail of our lives. And so I pray we would find great peace in that. God, whether we have some little things going on or we have huge things, God, your sovereignty over the tiniest details of a bird flying a roof over our head and clothes on our back or the hairs on our head, God, is all proof that you are sovereign and in control. And so, God, would you just help us present to you our requests now? So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you bring those things that make you fearful? Would you bring those things that make you panic? Would you bring those things that you've maybe taken into your own hands, you're making a bit of a mess, shooting yourself in the foot? Would you present them to God? Would you allow him to be near? I love those, those words we sung in the third song. The arms of the Father are surrounding us. That's the truth. That's the reality in our lives. And he's bringing good, and he will bring good. For those of us who can't see it yet, he will bring good as we trust him. Often the, the, the worst messes are made when we don't let him bring good, and we try to make our own good. So if you're a follower of Jesus, spend some time with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I would encourage you to just pray something like this quietly. Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you're active. Thank you that you're with me. Would you show me how real you are, God? And would you fill my heart with your peace? In your name I pray.